0: Take it. it says, those things which you have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do and the God of peace shall be with you. And think about that. Paul said those things which you have learned and received and heard and seen in me do and the God of peace will be with you. I'm going to paraphrase and see if we can say this. He says, do what you've seen me do, and God will be with you. Mm -hmm. And I ask myself, can I say that? Can I say that to my wife, my kids, my employees, you know, um, my peers, um, the the community around me, my neighbors? Can I say, whatever you have learned, received, heard, anything you've seen me do, do that and God be with you? Can I say that? Paul could say it, but the only reason that Paul could say it was because he understood the magnitude of his influence. And so that's our objective is we want to understand uh, the magnitude of our influence upon others. That's our first objective. Secondly, we want to own it, to own it as a trust that has been given to us by God. And thirdly, we want to become extremely intentional extremely intentional. Um, The overall focus is for us to become mindful, more mindful about our influence, our, our effect upon others, and more intentional about the use of our influence. Now, by definition, the word influence means the capacity to have an effect on the character, development, or behavior of someone else. The capacity to have an effect on the character, development, or behavior of someone else. And so with the first objective of mindfulness, each one of us as men have to come to a place where we are more conscious of the effect of, of us. I wanna ask you a question. Are you conscious of the effect of you? Not, no, not always, not, not, not always. Sometimes. Right? Sometimes. The many of us are not, many of us are oblivious mm-hmm. to how we are affecting people. And even worse on the worst case, some of us don't even care how we affect people, right? But now you see how that becomes, that that unintentionality becomes part of uh, our poor stewardship of our influence. Mark says something and immediately I knew why we have a kinship because I've, I've said for years, my assignment is to impact those who influence the multitudes. I pastor pastors and oversee a hundred churches and parachurch organizations. So, so I became aware of the fact these guys are watching, it became even more apparent during the pandemic because they were calling me, what do you do? You know, literally mega church pastors calling, getting me on Zoom. What do we do? So they're looking to me. I'm like, you look, they're all looking at me like I should know what to do. <laughs> and I'm, I'm thinking, I'm sitting here on the phone with several, you know, there's like 12 mega church pastors said, what do we do? You know, and I, and that, and I really realized that even when you don't really know it, others are watching you and deciding something about you that they're going to refer to later on. Mm -hmm. So I've got to ask myself when people think of me, what thought does the thought of me generate? You know? Have I been an asset to you or have I been a liability? You know, in order, in order to be a liability to others, all we got to do is be unintentional. Just, just do what we do. But to be an asset, you know, think of, I, I, was, I was just blown away by the thoughtfulness of Mike and Marnie. Just I'm looking around like everything is so well thought out. How did you know I would want a snack right now? You know, I mean, why did you put this here? Just every single thing somebody was thinking about somebody else on a a real deep level, right? Well, now imagine if we just, if that's the way we live. You think about this, think about every person Jesus encountered, every single person he encountered, whether it was a blind man, whether it was the person with devils, whoever it was, who was the encounter always about? The other person, it, the encounter, he never made the encounter about himself. He never, he didn't respond badly or poorly to rejection because if I respond poorly to rejection, I make it about me, mm-hmm. right? He was, he was aware of it, but he didn't respond badly to it. You know, he went to his own, his own received him not. He still died for him. He didn't need people to respond favorably in order to carry out his assignment because he knew he was for them, even when they didn't know what was good for them. He knew he was for them. So the point is that we have to, you know, we have to be mindful. We have to grow in mindfulness, being conscious of the effect of ourselves upon other people. And then secondly, coming into intentionality, from mindfulness to intentionality. So mindfulness is simply growing in the consciousness that I'm having effect on people around me. And and being mindful that I'm I'm always having an effect. And intentionality is being masterful. In other words, using that reality like an artist uses a brush to paint a masterpiece. Say, not only am I mindful of my effect upon you, I'm going to use it to make sure that I affect you in such a way that God will be glorified in your life as a result of my impact. That's in, and that's what that that's what intentionality looks like, you know. That's what it looks like. Now, here's the distraction. This isn't on your notes, but these two scriptures. Here is the distraction that we deal with from extreme intentionality, and, and it'll shock you what the, the distraction from the assignment. Say say my say my influence, my influence has an assignment. Has an assignment. Now this is the distraction from the assignment right? And and it'll blow you away when you hear it. This is the the excuse we make, the statement we make, that becomes a distraction from the assignment behind our influence. You ready for it? Nobody's perfect. That thought is the distraction. That's the distraction. Because I want you to think about this. Matthew chapter 5 verse 48 Jesus commanded us, be ye perfect as your father in heaven is perfect. Right? Mm -hmm. Philippians chapter 3, verse 14. Paul said, I press toward the what? The what? The goal of the the, the mark of the what? High prize of the calling in Christ. Mm -hmm. Jim, so you go to the shooting range, right? Right? Are you just firing obliviously all over the place? You go to, Is that? Yes. Yeah, right? yeah, that's great, But no. But. How do, right. How do you determine success and effectiveness? Right. You're aiming at a what? There, there's a. So there's a. There is an actual target. Now, if you know, if you don't hit the target, right, center mass or whatever, you probably take headshots, right? You <laughs> he win. <will. laughs> But if you don't hit the target, do you just start shooting all over the place Well, nobody's perfect? You don't do that, right? You, you, you still aim at it. You work on your technique because the mark doesn't change even if you don't hit it. The mark, the standard doesn't change. None of us hit perfection. Right? Isn't that right? None of us hit it. Many of us are nowhere near it. Right? None of us hit perfection. Right? That doesn't mean don't aim at it. Because what Jesus was saying is be very intentional. Be very deliberate to, 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 to aim at perfection as, as the Father is. Now the word perfection, all we're really talking about is proper function. All we're talking about is wholeness, completeness. We, we're talking about moving away from The brokenness that makes us selfish, the brokenness that makes us self-centered, the brokenness that makes us self-absorbed and coming into such completeness, right, that we can confidently serve other people knowing it's not about us. That's what he's talking about. Moving away from that brokenness, Colossians 2.10 says we are complete in him. And I've been married 31 years. I am not complete in my wife. We are complete in Him, and not we're not complete in our our bank accounts. We're not complete in our homes, our possessions. We're not complete. None of that completes us, right? We are complete in Him, and so we offer ourselves out of that completeness that we we have found in Him. You see that? So we want to stay away from that distraction from extreme intentionality, which is that's the, oh no one is perfect, right? And you know what what that means? A lot of times, oh no one's perfect. I mean, you know, I'm not even aiming at anything. Literally, that means I'm not even aiming at anything. It's, you know, I'm making great shots, just, you know, oh, the, the, side. <laughs> the side shot, that's an inside joke. Yeah. All right? So... <laughs> you might get, long the you you might might get you your long hit ball. <laughs> you might get your long hit ball. You might like you you know? yeah. miss it. I said the mic character over here. But, but here's the point. The mark doesn't change if I don't hit it. Hmm. It doesn't change. So we're supposed to keep aiming at that wholeness, that completeness and that fullness and proper function. You see, you know, it's like marriage. I've been married to the same woman for 31 years. I'm the baby of the married group, obviously, but I've been married to the same woman for 31 years. And I love my wife unconditionally and unreservedly, deeply from the heart and, and, uh. You know, when I talk to men, especially about marriage, I said, you want to know why I love my wife deeply and unreservedly? I said, because God's love and I'm his kid. Simple as that. The reason I love my wife is because God is love and I am love's child. And so what I am to my wife is between me and God. It's a vertical relationship. She's the human beneficiary of a relationship between me and God. So I don't I don't care what she does. I care what I do. I want to be intentional with my behavior toward her. And and then I believe I will reap what I sow. Right. You can't be the kind of person I plan on being and not having her. God's going to do something to her that's going to cause her to come back toward me with that that measure. But I'm not concerned about what she does. I'm concerned about what I do. I have to be the one being intentional. About my influence in her life, I was telling one of the guys that um, one of the reasons my wife came to Christ is because I, I had so much joy and peace. She thought I had a girlfriend at church. True story. Her her exact words, she said, "I'm going to find out who that heifer is." That was her exact. <laughs> <word>. <laughs> my wife came to church because her nothing, and I'm telling you, we went through we went through a time where. You know, my wife, she was really afraid of being a first lady, and she knew I was called a pastor. It's like, I don't want any of that. You know, I don't want any of that. And plus, all church people are hypocrites. I don't want anything to do with that. It's true story. So, so I'm like, so God, I, I'm seeking God. What do I do? She doesn't want church. She doesn't want, you know what he told me? Leave her alone. He says, you leave her alone. You're not the Holy Spirit. And the Lord said to me, as long as your hands are on it, mine are off. He said, I won't put my hands on it until you take yours off. Mm-hmm. He said, leave her alone. He's, just walk with me. I was so full of the Holy Spirit, transformed by the power of God. She knew what I was before because we've been together since teenagers. right? We've been together so long. My, my wife was one of my girlfriends. <laughs> so it was like that. True story. True story. So when I, when I got born again, she's like, nah, this ain't real. She's like, and she tried me. To, like a bridge, when they drive heavy stuff over to make sure it won't break, the load bearing test, that's what I went through in my marriage. She tried me. She tried my soul. Wow. And, but I was so full of joy and peace that it made her curious, and that's what brought her to Christ. Amen. But it was important <laughs> that I completely took my hands off trying to manipulate her into being something that benefits me. Mm-hmm. That, that's ungodly. Amen. That's ungodly. He says, no, you'll, you'll transform this entire house. What if you knew your home is becoming whatever you are? Mm-hmm. What if you knew as, as the husband, what if you knew your home was becoming whatever you are? Ha- never, had, never forget, it. Jesus is the captain of our salvation, right? So I was praying about her, her mindset, right? How's this mindset going to change, right? And the Lord showed me a bowl. I was at the front, I'm the captain, like Jesus is the captain of our salvation, my wife's on the tail end complaining that she doesn't want to go where we're going. And i never forget the Lord said, son, he says, you're the captain of the ship. You just keep driving. <laughs> he says, she's going where you're going. It doesn't matter how much, no, she's going where you're going. But now if you turn around and start engaging her resistance, you're going to crash. Mm-hmm. Your job is to know where you're going and stay on course. She's going wherever you're, wherever you going, that's where she's going also. So anyway, I don't know who that's for, but that's, that's how God began to temper me and move me away from any vestige of control and manipulation to try to force change, you know, and come into a place where God, it's, it's, you know, once we can hear and be led by the spirit of God, we no longer need to control anything. Control is no longer a factor when you can hear and be led. Because that becomes the thing that motivates and that guides and proves to always work out exactly as God has purpose for our lives. Does that make sense? So 1 Timothy 4.12 says, let no man, this was for me because I I was a pastor at 24 in my pastor's church. Let no man despise thy youth, but be an example of the believers in word, in conversation, which is your actual lifestyle, in charity, in spirit, in faith, and in purity. Right? So right here, we all have been given the directive to be the example. Say I am the example. I, the I want you to say this with me. For all I know, I am the pattern for what God is doing.. And what if your worship life and your devotion for God is the pattern for what God is doing in your home? Yeah, I'm the first preacher. I'm the first pastor in my family ever. I'm talking about from a host of heathens, you know, Greg and I were talking and uh, I was talking about how very dysfunctional, perfectly dysfunctional my upbringing was. Right. But God, that's who God uses, you know, and and so now God is making me a pattern. Now, my son had 12 years of youth pastor. Now, my daughter is our student ministry leader. They given away. My wife is preaching on Sunday. But I was the pattern. God had to snatch me out of dysfunction to make me the, the pattern of what my family was becoming. Yeah. So for all I know, I may be the pattern. And this the way we should think about when it comes to our influence. For all I know, I may be the pattern of what God is doing. And how intentional do I need to be if I am what God is going to use to bring change in, in the arenas in which he has given me influence? You see that? Does it make sense? So now, if, here's a question I want to pose to us. If everyone in your home was becoming just like you, what would your home be becoming? Mm-hmm. <laughs> quiet, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> if everyone in my home was becoming just like me, what is my home becoming? are you asking me? It's rhetorical. <laughs> <laughs> but you want to answer, you go. <laughs> 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 I don't want to answer, I mean, I know where my mom is, you know, yeah. so, yeah. it is, It is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> my, my daughter took a degree in Homeland <laughs> Security, and I was working with human trafficking victims. Not yeah. know my because my heart and her heart I are mean, that close together, so. Yeah. I know what it does. I understand exactly what you're talking about. I love it. I love it. Yeah. Keep preaching. Keep going. Yeah, mm-hmm. but you get that, right? So, you know what this is to provoke? Intentionality. Intentionality. You know why we get so mad at our kids? Because we see where we haven't been intentional with our behavior. In theirs. Like, oh, and we get mad. You just saw yourself. All right, me. I'm not going to talk about you. I talk about me. The (laughs) maddest I ever got with my kids is when I saw myself. Now, I'm like, I know what you're doing because I've been that jerk before. Right, I know exactly what you mean by that look because I've had that. You, I, yeah, I know what that look means. But what you're really upset about is that you're saying, "Oh my God, I didn't realize I was actually forming your soul. I didn't realize that I was forming your soul." You see that? You know, I think about I think about uh, when my kids were coming up. My daughter's 27 now. She's having a baby next month, and. Uh, and I think about how strong she is and, and, and organized, and you know she's got her degree in mass communication. She also works for me. She's on my payroll. And so she's got several things going on, right? And I know, I know when I look at her, I know where she got that from, right? And her confidence, I know where she got it from, right? But then I also watch when she gets into a dispute with my wife, I know where she got that from, too. (laughs) And I'm like, that is me. That is me. (laughs) That is me, you know, but all of it, all of all of this is about being intentional and realizing I am actually forming the souls around me through just being. And so the question is, what am am I forming? What am I forming? And is this emanating from my walk with God, his reflection and impression upon me is now making an impression and an impact upon others and being very intentional about that entire process that's going on. So our influence, in essence, right, is to those whom our example matters that are within our sphere of influence, That sphere is a stewardship that has been given to us by God. All right. So and and what I'm aware of is that every everyone that I inspire to grow, I could also poison. Everyone I impact positively, I could also impact negatively. You know, everyone that my walk with God has encouraged to walk with God. All it would take is for me doing one stupid weekend. Just one stupid weekend and those who are walking with God can be soured and I, my life could, could become a stumbling block to others who are looking, looking to me to figure out what it looks like to walk with God. That's why the Bible says don't put any stumbling block before our brothers, right? Because one, one weekend of folly could undermine the influence that I have with other people. And so it does matter. It, everything, I, everything I do matters. It does matter. You know, I never forget, I was reading about, uh, Jesus was talking about, uh, he was sort of scolding the disciples for not getting what he was trying to impart, I think it was. He said, if you can't handle this, how will you handle true riches? So I began to ask the Lord, I said, all right, well, what does that mean for my life? What is, what is true, what are true riches, Right can't be the house, it can't be the car, the bank account, right, all the platforms and open doors and op- that can't be true riches because never seen a U-Haul falling behind a hearse. Can't, can't take it with you. And the Lord began to speak to me and share with me for me what true riches meant in the economy and my responsibility to my assignment to him. He said, son, true riches is the impact that you make upon souls to the degree that they will come into alignment with my will for their lives and bring forth the glory of the Father. My God. It's rewardable. So think about this. So let's say I encounter someone that is lost, distracted, dysfunctional, perverse, whatever it may be. Everything I was. And now my influence, God uses my influence through the power of the Holy Spirit to help them. To, to come alive, to be awakened to who they are, right? Mm-hmm. Through counseling, we break the yokes off of their mind that keep them from seeing, you know, what it is God wants them to see and processing things the proper way. Through help, through assessment, we help them to identify their gifts, their callings, how God wants them to use their, their, uh, their lives for his glory. So now, as a result of my influence in this person's life through the power of the Holy Spirit, they now are functioning in a mode where they are fulfilling designer's intent. They're functioning in life exactly as God is intended. You know what that's called? Glory. Glory. Herein is my father glorified that you bear much fruit. So glory is the satisfaction of intent. Whenever the father's will is being accomplished in a person's life, glory is the satisfaction of intent. It is when the father's intention is being realized in his creation. Right? Now, but that only happened because you heard God, you obeyed God, you sacrificed time, you imparted into their lives, you set in an example, you checked up on them, you followed through, and now they become functional. They're now glorifying the Father. You know what the Lord said? That's really what true riches is. Mm-hmm. True riches is how my influence is used to bring another person into a posture of bringing the Father glory. That's what true riches look like. That's rewardable. That that right there goes before me into heaven and it'll be waiting for me when I get there. That's now, but what is that? The stewardship of my what? That's the stewardship. That is making sure that if the Lord told me I'm supposed to take a vested interest in what you are becoming, then that means that I may have to, I may have to now uh sacrifice something to come toward you in relationship because now I'm vested in the purpose of our father in your life. So it's not all we need to get together someday. No, it's Thursday. No, we're getting together Thursday. Why? Because I want to make sure that I'm not neglectful of the fact that the father has given me an assignment in your life that is going to bring your life into conformity to the image and likeness of Christ. You're going to come to proper function, you know, Mm -hmm. and that's what, that's what it looks like. Uh, that changed my life. That changed my life. Because now it means, right? And this is what I do. Every We have a lot of people joining our church. During the pandemic, we had over 200 people join our church. Just during the pandemic. And I want to meet every one of them. Because there's one thing I want to do. I want to, I want, and I pray, Lord, show me my assignment in this person's life. I want to know my assignment. So that as I'm interacting with them, I can be mindful of, that there's a reason God brought this person into my sphere of influence. You know, sometimes I can see brokenness that I know came from their upbringing. I, quite frankly, sometimes I can see perversion. I know that it's perversion. It doesn't matter. I just want to know what my assignment is. Why? So that I can be intentional in my engagement of them. You know, there are some people that when I meet them, I'm like, they need a father. They, this person needs a father. And so I want to make sure that I engage them in a fatherly manner. So so I'm thinking of my kids when I'm dealing with this fully grown person. I'm thinking of my kids and how I can minister to the void that they have in their life because they were dropped in the fathering paradigm. Does that make sense? Everything about it is intentional. See, Lord, what is my before I came here? Lord, show me purpose for which you brought me to this moment with with these men. I want to know what I'm supposed to receive from them. I want to know what I'm supposed to impart. I don't want to assume anything. I want to to make sure that I don't waste this opportunity. Here's the ministry in giving and receiving. Scripture said the ministry is in giving and receiving. It's always a two-way street, all right? That brings me to another point about the stewardship of our influence. Say, I'm the man in the middle. Say that with me. I'm the, man in the I'm the man in the middle. Every one of us, I think you alluded to it, and I'm, a, I'm a, something I've taught along the same line. Every one of us should be the man in the middle. We should have someone who sees it as their assignment to influence us, and we should have someone that we see it as our assignment to influence them. That's called the cycle of mentorship. We should always be the person in the middle. We should, And if, if you're not in the middle, you're not growing. If you're not in the middle, you're not growing. Because all you know, you know, it's like my messages. I don't learn anything from my messages. <laughs> I already know my message. I only learn when I listen to someone else's wisdom, someone else's experience, someone else's assignment in my life helps me to grow. The eyes of my understanding come open. I'm, I'm expanded. being here with Mike and and being around this, this is expansive, you know? Mm -hmm. I mean, just hearing conversations, you know, about what he's doing and what some of you guys, it's expansive, right? So I'm being impacted. I'm making an impact. You know what I found out about the guy in the middle? You ready for this, guys? The guy in the middle of the cycle of mentorship never burns out never burns out, you never burn out if you stay in the middle of that cycle where you are receiving intentionally and giving intentionally, all right? So how we impact others for eternity is what matters to God because we know that God is a God of generations. So let's talk about who's in our sphere of influence so that we can be uh, conscious, right? So there are the people, and we're back to the note, there are the people that I know And they know me. So these are familiar relationships. All right. Then there are the people that I don't know. But they know me. You'll be amazed how many times I walk in the store. Hey pastor. And I'm like you are who? Right. Oh yeah I'm so and so and so and so. And, And it turns out that they're connected to somebody. Who's connected to somebody. Who's connected to somebody. And they know me through them. And you know what I'm thinking about? I'm thinking about something i said to them in church they said to someone else that they said to someone else this person that doesn't come to my church i don't even know them is being impacted by something i said Mm -hmm. i'm thinking think about that that is that is what that is the magnitude of the people that we reach consciously or unconsciously intentionally or unintentionally that's your reach And that blows me away but it it makes me even more sober with making sure that that uh i endeavor to keep aiming for that mark we talked about earlier why because it always matters it always matters so thirdly there are people that don't know you but are directly affected by your behavior like your neighbors if your music is loud you know (laughs) you know or your uh grass is not kept up and they have to drive by looking at it thinking about what's happening to the value of their home. <laughs> the people who are indirectly affected by you through others. I call it the ripple effect. You know, like I have, there, you know, I have women that join our church and their husbands won't come to church. Anybody seen that? Husband won't come to church the wife does, right? But then literally, they have an argument. He repeats my sermon back to her. I'm like, isn't that something? So he doesn't come to church, but he reminds you what I said in church. I'm like, How do you think that happens? <laughs> True story, right? The ripple effect. The people you interact with that you don't know and who don't know you. These are called strangers, right? Do we do we care about strangers? You think about that. Do we care about strangers? Hebrews 13, 2 says, Be not forgetful to entertain strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unaware. The stranger could be an angel. So even my influence upon strangers matters. It matters to God. Because remember, with us, nothing is an accident. Absolutely nothing is an accident. You know, I, I've uh, I have a habit uh, in my in my wallet. I always keep fives, right? Because every time I come to the intersection, there's a guy standing there with a sign. I'm I'm like, listen. It takes incredible humility to stand here with the sign. <laughs> so I don't even care what you're going to do with this, right? God never told me to interview the poor to see what they were going to do with my five dollars. God says, give to the poor, and you lend to the Lord. So I keep five so that I can give, and I keep in my car, I keep these little ABC cars to salvation. So I give them the ABCs of salvation and a $5 bill every time, okay? But I never forget, we had some guy, Greg's been on my campus, right? So we had some guy, right? And he's out front and he's cutting a fit and he's, you know, he's ready to fight everybody and, you know, he's, he's going off, right? And so it was, it seemed to be a dangerous situation. So I walked out, and the guy immediately began to calm down, right? And so I'm talking to him. I'm not matching his aggression, Mm, you know? I'm not matching his energy and his aggression because I realized whatever you're fighting, you were fighting before you met me. (laughs) Whatever you're fighting. Think about that when you run into people that are in a bad way. Whatever you're fighting, you were fighting before you met me. This is not my fight. So if it's not my fight, it's not my plight. So my assignment is to make sure that I come at you in the way that Christ would come at you. So the situation began to deescalate. Now, as long as people were around and he was ramped up and amped up. But when I walked out, and then when, I, when he finally calmed down, so I'm right, like, all right, well, it's good now, you know, I'm gonna walk back, right? One of my employees told me, says, yeah, he says he knows you. I don't know who this guy is. I don't know what he's doing, right? It was a guy I handed one of the fives to by the highway, right? A stranger. But what turned something from a dangerous situation, because he was, he was, he was there. He looked like he was ready to fight everybody, right? But what changed it to it from a dangerous situation, right? Is how I treated a stranger in an unrelated, you know, this is by the interstate, miles away. And that's what I'm saying. Even the encounter with the stranger matters. Because influence is influence, all right? So this is my sphere of influence. It's also a stewardship. It is a trust given to me by God, because as I said earlier, God wants to be glorified, right? God wants to be glorified. So as such, it must be engaged intentionally. I must realize my effect upon others. It must be accounted for as a trust. The Bible says, God, that every man will give account of himself to Jesus Christ. Every one of us, right? And then it must be managed properly. Now, mindful people do not manipulate, they cultivate. Mindful people do not manipulate, they cultivate. When I thought about that, I thought about two scriptures, one from the Old Testament, one from the New Testament. In Zechariah 13, 5 and in 2 Timothy 2, 6. Zechariah 13, 5 and 2 Timothy 2, 6. There's a word mentioned. In both Old Testament and New Testament, that I want to bring to your attention is the word husbandman. Okay? Anybody know what that word husbandman means? Caretaker. Yeah. Caretaker, tiller of the ground, farmer, mm-hmm. right? But now, notice the notice the, the first part of the word is what? What's the first part of the word husbandman? Husband? Husband. So then what is a husband? A caretaker, a farmer, a tiller of the ground, the one who sows the seed. Mm-hmm. Anybody got a, a son looks like you? I do. Right? Got a son look just like oh god, I feel bad for that kid. <laughs> <laughs> but now, all right, so who has a son look just like you, right? Brian, you got a son look like you, you got a kid look like you? Where where'd you get him from? Where'd I get it from? Yeah, where'd you get him from? Where'd he come from? Yeah. Uh That's Right? So, so, so you, it's sex, just, you had, had sex. So you had nothing. <laughs> it <like, laughs> <that> was an <laughs> conception. <espaculation. laughs> <laughs> it was a one night stand. Would it be yeah, fair I'm to sorry, Brian. Would it be fair to assume that he came out of your wife? Yeah. Isn't that right? Yeah. You were there? Her, yeah. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> so, so something came out of her, but it looks like you. And all you did was sow a seed. It came out of her. She was just processing what you gave her. And it came out looking like you. That's exactly how it always works. That's exactly, you could, you could literally, you could literally create the wife you always wanted. All right, it's getting quiet now. I have the wife I always wanted, now, after 31 years. If you sowed a seed into her, she just processed the seed you gave her, that thing came, came out looking just like you, right? Now, if your kid's ugly, Brian's ugly. <laughs> but they're not. You look good, so I assume your kid looks good, right? Of course. But now here's the point, right? Here's the point, right? As a husband, then, I planted the seed. It went into her. She processed it. It came out looking just like me. Right? That's always how they work. That literally, that's always how they work. She's just giving back to you what you planted in her. So that means that you have to be intentional about the seed you saying is Mm sowing. Saying is sowing. Whatever you say, it goes into her soul and it will show up in a conversation. You call it an argument. (laughs) But whatever you say, whatever you plant, when you say it, you sow it. And whatever you sow, you're going to see it again. Mm -hmm. It works like that every single time. That makes sense? Yes. Mm-hmm. So we gotta be mindful, for example, to not sow fear, to not, you know, to not sow the things in conversation that will create insecurity. Cause the number one need of all women is to feel what? Secure, here, here. right? So I gotta think, if I say this this way, will this make my wife feel more secure? If I avoid this conversation, is she gonna feel secure? You know, if, uh, if she knows I'm attractive because she didn't marry an ugly guy. But if women come on to me and I don't tell her, is she gonna feel secure? See, no. Women come on to me. My wife is the first one I tell. I like, guess what this girl said. True story. We had a woman joined our church, right? Um, and she, not a not a Leah, a Rachel. Okay. I know what I'm talking about. If you read your Bible, don't you know talk about. This girl was gorgeous. And the, the single guys, I noticed they changed their seats. You know, so, right? gorgeous, right? She was a, a ballet dancer or something like that, and just right. gorgeous woman, right? right? But this woman, I'm sitting in my office one day, I get a call, she says, Apostle, she said, I'm gonna have to leave your church. I said, what, I, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm getting on the defensive. I'm, I put on my dad voice. I'm like why daughter what you know what's going on she says because i i uh i keep having these dreams i said say on she said well every time i i go to sleep i have these dreams about us having sex so she goes on to describe her dream and she says so i'm having a hard time coming to church because every time i come to church you know i just i, I want to lay hands on you that's what she said so I said to this woman, right, I said, I said, uh, daughter, I said, it's sad that you've never had, you know, you've never had masculine love that wasn't sexual. It's sad that you've never had a father love you the way I love you and I love everybody else here. I said, but ain't a chance in hell that's going to happen. I said, ain't a chance in hell that's going to happen. I said, secondly, I'm telling my wife. Ah. She hung up, I hung up the phone, called my wife. I said, Lisa, guess what happened? So I said, you know so-and-so? Yeah, I said, here's what she said. You know what my wife said? I knew it. <laughs> <laughs> she already knows. <laughs> There's a thousand women in this church. She already knows which one happened. She's your help me. Which means she's been designed to spot danger in your environment. Wow. Wow. Thank you, Lord. Now you play dumb all you want <laughs> She has been designed to spot predators in your environment. Cause we're like this, whosoever will let them come. We're ready to love everybody. Even those who don't want love, they want lust. Mm-hmm. Right? My wife's like, I knew it. <laughs> I knew it. Right, that woman made a beeline straight for my influence. The enemy was trying to destroy my influence. That's what he was after, my influence. And he used a very attractive woman to try to get to it. But now there's safety, tell somebody next to you, there's safety and accountability. So, right, you want to stop any sin, tell your wife you're doing it. Oh Lord, (laughs) tell your wife. It, man. She's like, hell no. Frank's so here like hell no. <laughs> because you know what she's gonna do? How you doing with that? Turn into a detective. She- yeah. She's gonna turn into a detective, right? But now here's the thing: do I, wanna, do I wanna get better or do I wanna struggle? See? Do I wanna get better? Here, let me let you in on something. Okay, she already knows. Mm-hmm. Right? She already knows. Right? You can't be one with somebody and not know what they're struggling with. That's not even possible. She already knows. She's waiting for you to be honest and see her as your partner. You know, I always tell men, whenever you're having a hard time with your wife and she's doing whatever, you got to ask one question, one question. When God said he gave me a help me, was he lying? See? So it's not about she's nagging, she's complaining, she's arguing, she's negative, she's... When God gave me help me, was He lying? So you know the the better question when she's being difficult or whatever. This is what I had to do, Lord. What are you trying to help me with? What are you trying to help me with? And you know what He would tell me when she's she's just being extra. And you know what He would say? I'm chipping rough edges off of you. So she gets to use her curse words, and I don't. <laughs> Yeah, she's using her curse words. And I'm like, I remember curse words you won't let me use. How does she get to use hers? He says, I'm chipping rough edges off of you. I'm making a kinder, gentler version of you for where I am preparing you to go. And for the multitudes, I want you to impact. You know what God said to me? I need you to be so self-controlled and learn how to master yourself so you can deal with anyone. Anyone. And You know where he does that? Right at home. Right where God, God does it at home with who matters the most to you. He tempers you. I have pastors ask me when they see the magnitude of our work, they say, pastor, you know what? Apostle, what, what is the one thing? You know, everybody wants to know. What is the secret? Yeah. Right. You know what I always tell them and they're not ready to hear it. I say I learned how to love one woman unconditionally, unreservedly. That's the secret. I learned how to make it about her. Right. Uh she is the she is the human beneficiary of my best self now my best self here's another thing right i don't need to get better for my wife see that's what keeps us from getting better It's because we want it to be reciprocated and that means that your orientation is not right me getting better is between me and god she's the beneficiary i show when i said i do she's the beneficiary of that better self humanly speaking but god is the orientation of that better self getting better is between me and him she's the one i chose to demonstrate that selflessness towards you see that so it ain't about what she i don't care what she does i care what i do you see i don't need things to be fair i need to be obedient god will never use us greatly I don't know anyone God uses greatly at anything that needs everything to be fair. I don't know anyone. Because they figured out that, anybody figured out that it's not fair? It's not. God seems to have rules for me that other people don't seem to even connect to. God has standards for me. You know, true story, people people talk about me like there are bonus checks involved with talking about me, okay? (laughs) Like there's money involved. And then I can't even return a negative word just he won't let me he's like nope overlook the offense oh, uh, uh, herein do I exercise myself to remain offense free with God and man I refuse to hold anything about about uh, uh, against anyone for any length of time that's between me and God offense free living doesn't matter what they do it matters what I do does it make sense and so I want to keep I want to keep proper influence with heaven more than anything else all right so anyway let me wrap this up So, as such, our influence must be engaged intentionally, which means we must realize the effect we are having upon others. It must be treated as a trust, accounted for as a trust. It must be managed properly, right? And because mindfulness means we don't manipulate, say, I don't manipulate people to get my way. Say it with me, I don't manipulate people. people, I cultivate people. What am I growing around me? I I don't manipulate, I cultivate people. That's the time you spend with people pouring something and planting something of value. You're cultivating people, not manipulating people to get what you want out of them. That's what husbandmen do. So God's expectation for our lives and the use of our sphere of influence is fruitfulness and productivity. So according to the scripture that we read earlier, uh, be examples from Timothy, every one of us is a teacher. Every one of us is a teacher, Right uh interactive instructional engagements of us all the time we are imparters we're always releasing something into others making spiritual deposits into others we are broadcasters which means we are in information dispensers we are visual aids every one of us is every one of us is a pattern so we have to be uh both uh, we have to be intentional about what it is that we're doing in the lives of other people you know there are people that say you know it sounds real humble but it's unbiblical you know, don't 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 look at me. Look at Jesus. That's not what Paul said. Paul said, "Follow me as I follow Christ." Get <laughs> yeah, right. He he wants someone in the natural to walk so closely with him that other people that don't have any idea how to live actually have a human pattern for what it is God wants to do in their lives. So there's no don't look at me. Look at Jesus. You know, no, follow me as I follow Christ. I fully intend. On following him, so it's safe to follow me. That's what Paul said in First Corinthians 11:1, be ye followers of me as I'm also a follower of Christ. All right? Romans 14:13, Let us therefore uh, judge let us not therefore judge one another anymore, but judge rather that no man put a stumbling block or an occasion to fall in his brother's way. Don't put anything in a brother's path. That has the potential to make him fall that's intentionality you know i don't want to make a comment right i don't make a statement that will make you fall you know i don't want to do things that cause harm to other people i want to be an asset does anyone else in this room say i want to be an asset to everyone i meet? i i literally i think that way i want to be a blessing i don't want to be a burden to anyone you know I don't. I feel like if I come into your life, it shouldn't be worse as a result of my involvement in your life. It should be better. Isn't that right? Yes. That's the way I feel. Sure. You know, uh, and 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 that especially when it comes to the home, when it comes to my wife and and my kids. All right. And then lastly, Galatians six one says, "Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault," says now, if you're really spiritual, you should be in restoration mode, not gossip. Not maligning, not see, I told you, you know, not, you know, I knew he wasn't all that. No, it says, if you're really spiritual, your spirituality will show up in your methodology. If your spirituality doesn't show up in your methodology, you're not really spiritual. He says, if you're really spiritual, then you have restore such a one. Watch this in a spirit of meekness. You know why? This is what we ought to think when we see a brother fail. My God, that could have easily been me. My God, that could have not. Did you hear about what happened to so-and-so? Oh, yeah, he had a big church. I knew they are all for No, that could have very easily been me. Time and opportunity. Time, you never know. The enemy may be setting you up right now. Time and opportunity. Never say what you wouldn't do. Never say what you wouldn't do. All right? He says, but restore such a one in a spirit of meekness, considering yourself lest you also become tempted so use your spirituality to strengthen the spiritually weak. right so now the bottom line as i said earlier and we close with that the goal of this is this mindfulness be be conscious of the of the impact that you're making you know what i love and i love this i was sitting uh talking and listening last night to dick and to gil oh lord i love it you know Um when you've lived 82 years, 78 years, oh you have something to share that people should listen to. I love it, I love it, I love it because I know this isn't just talk, you know, you 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 know you got some some miles. There's some miles on you that tells me that you at least you know the way. So I love leaning into those conversations and listening. And not even, it's not so much, there are things that they don't even know they're saying. And I'm like, got that, got that, got that. Picking up, right? That's the kind of influence I, 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 I want in my life because I want to make sure I live a life that glorifies God, that serves others, and that is fulfilling to me. I'm going to close with this. You know why many of us aren't happy? If you, get yourself, you know why you aren't happy, Happiness has nothing, It's the conversation of happiness really had nothing to do with happiness. Think about this, like, every one of us has had the check engine light come on in the car, right? Check engine light come on. You don't go, stupid light, <laughs> right? The light is telling you there's a deeper issue, right? So the light comes on, you take it in, you know, I, go, I got to go to Mercedes and get them to check it out. Because the light is indicating that there's a deeper issue that needs to be investigated by someone who knows what what they're looking for, right? So, I'm not happy. Somebody shout, that's just a light. That's That's That's, that's the check engine light. That's just the check engine light. Now, you know what the deeper issue is? You're not fulfilled. You're not fulfilled. Why am I not fulfilled? Here's why, because I'm not my life is not serving the designer's intent. Bottom line, you cannot operate in your purpose and not have a sense of fulfillment that translates to happiness. Happiness is an emotional thing. But but really the real thing is fulfillment. And fulfillment is always found within the context of designer's intent. So quit hollering at the stupid light. And realize I've got to look deeper and say, you know what? What did God mean for my life that, that I've never been intentional about actually doing with my life? That's the problem. That is the problem. Now, the last thing is this. You don't get to decide your purpose. You get to discover it. You discover it in worship, seeking the Father, and getting a revelation from him about his intention for your life.